There's some questions. A couple of questions on subject-object division. Some person asking to notice the space between the sense thought and the sense object. I became perplexed when it came to the sense thought of mind. How would one do this? In thinking, thoughts are generally visual and or auditory. But the visual auditory experience is one of memory rather than a present object. How does thinking and dreaming fit into the cycle of creating? So another person asks, I was speaking of subject and object, asking you, yogis, participants, to look for this line of separation between subject and object. On one level, I get what you're saying, but then the observation arises there is a barrier, a membrane of separation, call it skin. I want to understand this beyond an intellectual level. Can you say anything about this? No division, no separation. Well, there is a kind of imposed separation, if you like, a separating, which occurs fundamentally, I think, just because of jitters in bodily life. So it, it's primed to attend uh, uh, hearts are primed to attend differently to some phenomena is to others. Though the mode of attention towards most of the sense doors, sense objects, is very much object oriented. So it's a particular mode of attention that generates distinctions, right? So it's that mode of attention, separate distinctions, objects out there. We're not necessarily trying to find out what they feel we just want to say what they are so that kind of quality of message or mission um, because they're out there now when we come back to what we call internal it's a different mode of attention um, because it's actually what's being felt so it's not the same kind of mode of attention it's more receptive feeling things rising and passing because it you know, one's participating in them. So the difference between the shifting mode in which consciousness operates creates a certain gear shift, except it's not necessarily a shift of speed, but a shift of modality. Externalizing, internalizing is what occurs. Now with the mind, you have both external kind of mind, which is thinking, which creates objects, it determines things. It, it, you know, that's one of those, that's one of those, that's one of those, that's one of those. It, it's very much creating objects. It's got a particular kind of attention, that mind, which cuts things out into separate entities, right? You know, I think of this person, that person, think of myself, think of my body, think of tomorrow. Separate entities. It's object-defining. Nice, clear boundaries around things. And in fact, it also then, even when we, even when it turns towards, say, our emotional body or energetic bodies, it does the same thing. It tries to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So this is why when we try to do that, when we meditate, getting precision, then we have that same mode of attention operating 
on the internal domain and it's um it's quite an imposition um because you don't necessarily empathically feel the sense of the internal when the, that mode is operating when the consciousness mind consciousness goes internal really internal it's attuned not to object definition but a subjective feeling subjective feeling happiness unhappiness stress absence of stress those are not discrete objects they are qualities that pervade the territory fear is not a nice object it's, it's an overwhelming wash isn't it love same thing uh, and so, so they're not really haven't got that same the attention is trying to see them as objects um, finds them very difficult and so often that kind of attention will, will almost push them aside you know, or, or or just label them mm. rather than feel them mm. now the true internal mode of attention is one of it doesn't create an object you think about something and you define it as something separate from the thinker but the heart feels directly it doesn't feel about something it feels it directly it responds and its effect is a very direct form of intelligence it responds it's affected it opens it closes it agitates it stirs it soothes that's heart that's the way the heart operates so that's we call that mode of operation we call it the internal base it's quite a shift from that to the external mode of operation so it really is a different different domain so there is a sense of separation because they're almost like two separate domains of consciousness that we can move from one to the other so there's no real barrier between it but there's definitely a shift and it's a shift that is so is quite normalized so i think about myself i i look at my feelings and thoughts and think about them so we use an external mode of attention to deal even with internal realities this doesn't necessarily very helpful yeah because you get good analysis of all the this and that and the other it doesn't actually release anything whereas to feel it directly you can feel it in the, in a wise way of course you can feel those energies arise feelings arise and, and move and shift and pass and morph into something else you say oh it's all just changeable nothing to get really fixated upon it's just flowing so you don't get the whole lot of data being stored up as an analysis of yourself much more like a felt journey through these tides to 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 where they go to good or to bad or to to release so that for the inner journey that mode of attention is more useful so in that really without your the sense of subject and object becomes increasingly um lessened through in that particular territory whereas in the external territory the subject and the object are quite distinctly configured right i think about that mm. 
So you might think about myself. There's a division between me thinking and the self that I'm thinking about. I mean, how crazy is that? I think about myself. <laughs> what are you doing? How can you think about how can you as a subject think about yourself as an object without doing something really rather disruptive to the, to the experience? So another question, discussing Sankaran selfing in terms of trauma response. Given there's so much ongoing crisis and trauma, seemingly everywhere, do you find many people retreating into more hardened and defended conditioned self-sense and all that goes with that, my family, my tribe, my race, my belief? I feel concerned when I see even well-intentioned actions for diversity and social justice which seem fueled by rage and clinging to fixed positions and identities. Yeah, I think there's a lot around and... Uh, it's a complex area. How do people, you know, find returning to a sense of inclusivity, non-separation, when they felt very unincluded and separated and and looked down upon and so on and so on and so on. Then I, I, I it's not a smooth journey. And um, I think it has to be, you know, Whenever there's anything traumatic, you can't say, don't be that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when people are deeply affected, you can't say, oh, just be, look at it reasonably. <laughs> because that's the nature of deep effect. Mm. And somewhere there has to be a sort of a, okay, you know, let's give some space around that. But certainly, um, the idea is that, that we're looking not for right and wrong, but for release from the afflicted rather than you know righteousness release from the afflicted however that happens that's what we're moving towards otherwise we just continue the um process of division you know so you might say you know post-holocaust and uh, jewish people who've been incredibly Collectively traumatized, anymore. so okay, we put them in Palestine, which was the old country of Israel. Of course, most of them were born in Europe and so on. They weren't Palestinians. So, you know, weird effect that the Palestinian people then get traumatized because they pushed out. So, you so you get a division between the Israeli or Jewish, however you want to put it, people and the Palestinian people, and it can obviously religion can be part of it, but then you just move the division to another situation. So understand your characterization of the world as largely subject to greed, hatred, delusion and how those forces affect the common consciousness. Becoming wisely independent of all this is an important aim of practice. 
considering what to do once one has gained some wise perspective, I perceive the world as essentially unfixable. We're not going to eliminate greed, hatred, and delusion. That must be done from within. Any advice on how to balance knowledge of unfixability with willingness to make a small contribution? Well, if you look at it very intimately, the world is generated through your own consciousness. Um, it's really, it's what you what you're in. So yeah, you can you can detect greed, hatred, delusion, and, and then orient around that into rather unfixable sort of impotent state, in which you're still really being configured in accordance with the forces of greed, hatred, and delusion. Or, you know, you don't want to take your configuration of what you do from these negative conditions, even if you're saying, well, what can you do about it? That's not that's not a joyful open heart state. That's uh, besieged in a way. Then, well, yeah, then if we're really coming from a place of true independence, then maybe our response is one of compassion or equanimity or, or you know, generosity part. And maybe with that particular perspective, we start to see, oh, that's, that's very beautiful. Oh, that's a lovely thing. Oh, that, that one needs some energy. You know, we might consider there's good there. We begin to see it and there's good there. We don't that we can bring energy towards. So if we take unfixability as a fixed position, then it, it limits our own potentials. We say yes, there is a lot of distress, uh, but my response to that is not one of despair, and hopelessness, but one of compassion and generosity. Then you you know you you begin to change your world. See what I mean? And more, also, more or less, even more important, you're changing your heart. When the heart is open, it's much easier to find a still center within it than if it's closed. So the open heart, awareness is not constricted. And you find there's a still, cool place within all that. So then when you have that, you're not really looking at, can I change the world? I don't know, but I can change my attitude towards it. Whether the world changes or not, of other people depends just on conditions that are arising. And I can put some input into it, but naturally other people can put other input into it. So we're not looking for results there, but we realize if we have that openness and willingness, then we get the results here. And some of those results that we put out might actually have a good effect on somebody or the other. <laughs> so that's the way I look at it. That's how I, I keep going. When we give our care during illness, how to reduce the arising of emotions like frustration or sadness when the person who is ill is creating conditions that make our help difficult? Well, in order to establish or really have these qualities of Metta Karuna, the Brahma Viharas arising, 
you have to find or establish your own inner stability. So if there's an inner stability, poise, balance, groundedness, inner stability, it's not dependent upon conditions, right? Yeah. So it's not through holding on to something. There is a place, a center, where conditions don't go. And this is kind of what the Buddha was touching into. Place of disengagement, where we release, not get tangled, we return to knowingness, awareness. Of course, any words aren't really going to be as good or take you to that place. I call it the, the still center. It's stable. It's not a person. It's not mine. It's the still center of citta, I could say. Where is that? And we witness moods and emotions arising and passing, and we're not, there's no tangling with them, fearing of them, fascination with them, adopting them. There's a realization of a fundamental stillness, you could say a fundamental space. And uh, so then, you know, from that, then one can really open because that's what happens. You know, decide to it just opens because why? Why shouldn't it? It's quite grounded. It's got safety. It opens. Then naturally, responses of goodwill or equanimity arise. Um, now, metta means the sense of resentment, anger, rancor, disappointment doesn't happen. Doesn't take over. So your person is struggling. They're having a bad day. They're having a tantrum. Yeah, they're not being, you know, whatever they're not doing, and that's theirs. Mm. Yeah, and so the quality of equanimity is the most generous of the lot because equanimity just doesn't ask for anything. Doesn't ask you to feel good, understand what I'm saying, be supportive, improve anything. Just retain heart presence in the face of all the changing conditions. These are conditions changing. Now, now when we say, well, that's a person, then I want that person to be another way. So I'll do something so they'll be happy, better, healthier, and so on. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do, but it's still... A request when that you know get better be I want you uh, wanting and wishing are two different things wanting is looking at the result wishing is just may you be may you be free from and whether the person picks that up or not isn't necessarily up to you and people are not open to it therefore equanimity is most generous which is just not indifference, but sensitivity, allowing people to be open, closed, difficult, wonderful, 
That's you know, karma, karmic formations doing what they do. So someone's saying the intention to move towards samadhi, keep the attention broad and be with the energy life force that we're feeling. What would be the purpose of being aware of very specific sensations? Well, sensations are good for like training, training in, in you know in mindfulness to get it so it's it's you know it's it's accurate. So it's a good exercise. Um, and sensations are, are easy access. Energy is a little more subtle, and energy is also very evocative. So you've got to be, you know, feeling energy is easy, easy to, to feel. Oh, you know, powerful energy. Oh, knocked off course, uh, or start to spin out even. They're, they're very captivating. So sensation can keep you grounded in some way. You know, just, so if you're feeling the energy has just becoming too difficult or mysterious, just, okay, is the body walking up and down? Plonk, 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 plonk. It establishes a sense of um, being less, not overcooking on the internal domain. You know, when we get too saturated in the internal domain without enough sati mindfulness then you can develop mindfulness on called the external domain which is sensations and so forth so that that particular quality of mind is 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 energized and you do see things come and go and the ability to stay on track with the sensations as they process so you recognize this sensation body that i'm experiencing is not the same it's not male or female, it's not young or old, it's just a sensation body. So it does give a sense to a you know dispassion and non-identity. So a couple more. Safe ground and the question of how harmony arises in relationship. When divisiveness arises, could you speak to how to most skillfully take an interest? in that in order to move towards greater balance and the possibility of resolution. Well, say if you're in relationship with another person, then you, you have to do negotiation, which is, you know, a sense of how is this for you? What's happening? And would you be interested in talking about what's happening for you? So, uh, oh, thank you. Uh, could I tell you what's happening for me? You know, so you've got to negotiate, just opening it out. And then, you know, thank you so much. We've got some clarity now. So that's great. And uh, so that may be enough even. Because just being heard, sometimes that itself is harmonious. Or it may be, oh, that's the way you took... You saw it that way. Oh, that's... Ah. Uh-huh. Oh, I see. Yeah. Actually, what I was doing was this. You know, you kind of explain things. Although also, are we interested in 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 resolution? Rather than, you know, so are we both... Inter- we realize there's some conflict or divisiveness here. 
are we both interested in resolution? And then what does it take to spaciously process that? Which means things have to be seen for what they are. Please address the experience of subjectivity. In my experience, when the mind is collected, still and open, there is a sense of subjectivity which deepens and is quite beautiful. If it was personal and yet not separate, I would call it a sacred sense of self. Would you say this is resting in citta? Sounds like citta is still and open, is what you're talking about. So when it's still opens, it deepens and is, is beautiful. So Banajitta, the beautiful heart, when it's still and open. I would say it's more intimate than personal. I mean, it's not like associating with one's physiognomy or his personal history or physical appearance or anything like that. It's, it's, it's intimate. So it's intimate subjectivity. Actually, intimate subjectivity is not personal. Uh, person is a structure that's created around that intimate. So when the personhood the sort of recedes or dissolves, there's a sense of something, you know, really open and, and beautiful. And this is where this quality, then this is where, you know, the true resources of heart can begin to suffuse and emanate. Okay, pointed out Jitta Sankara and Kaya Sankara are explicitly mentioned in the Anapanasati instructions. What is the relationship of Vajji Sankara to Anapanasati practice? So verbal formation or thinking. So the relationship of it is that the thoughtful mind is what is um, tracking the process. Yeah. So if we notice all that Panapanasati instructions are given in words. Uh, so you've got to be careful you're not talking to yourself all the time. But so this is two processes or dual process called Vitaka Vichara. And Vitaka Vichara is called the verbal formation. This isn't great for language, is it? But essentially what occurs is two particular uh, qualities, features. One is placing of the conceiving intelligence. It's, oh, that's that. You could say the recognition moment. Aha, uh-huh. that's that. That's vitaka. Vichara means, well, how is that? So placing and sensing, vitaka, vichara. So that's operating all the time. Yeah. That's that. How is that? That's that. How is that? So like when we put a finger on something, you both touch it and feel it at the same time, don't you? You place and you feel it. Same with this mental attention of the thinking mind. How is that? But of course the training is that you don't just keep running onto the next thought. You do pause and linger and how is that? So a lot of people are quite good at be tucking that's that, that's that, that's that, that's that, that's that. They don't necessarily have that lingering process of, well, how is that? Listening. So the simple instruction is place short, 
listen long. How is that? So it helps to open the Vajisankara, the verbal formation, from its tends to rush and ramble onto the next thing. So you're stilling it by, how is that? How is that? How is that? So you're using qualities that you attend to that encourage that. How is that? Oh. Yeah, you get it. So I think this is where, of course, energies require that kind of attention. You've got to, oh yeah, how's that feel? So the, the vichara, the sensing aspect, and the taka, place it there. Okay, is it long? Is it short? Calm, soft, bright, spacious, tangled. Opening, listen, opening. And then even what's needed here. So a little bit of investigation also into where's the sticking place here. Where's the place of holding on here? Can that be released? So we use this as we are establishing our meditation, you know. Am I got the whole body or not? No. What's missing? Oh yeah, what's happening there? That's Vitaka Vichara. So that's how you use the verbal formation in meditation. And you can inquire, is this changeable? Yep. Mm. Is it skillful or unskillful? Oh, it's unskillful. Mm. So, you know, getting readout on it. So then you tether it to the experience rather than use it as the experience. Use it as a guide rather than as a, as a distraction. Okay, so I'm going to stop there for today. Thank you. Your questions. I hope some of it's been useful. And uh, why don't we just sit quietly for five or ten minutes and just let some of this stuff settle. Anything useful, it's good to dwell upon it. Anything unuseful, it's good to move on. <laughs>